Good morning, and Roger, thanks so much. It's a joy for me to be here and see a number of uh, familiar faces. Uh, my wife, Carla, is going to be in the next service, but the two of us really uh, are blessed to have Oakwood as a, a supporting church, and then just a number of friends here as well. How many have uh, not been here when I've spoken before, just to get an idea? Great. Well, it's nice to meet uh, new folks. Hope to see you uh, afterwards as well. Um, uh, I, I want to thank uh, Don, your pastor. I just love how he's come in here and led and served, uh, he and his wife and family and your staff, and for the invitation to be here to speak today. And I know that we've been praying for your whole community, of course, over the past few months with what has happened at Oxford, and pray that God would continue to use this church uh, in ways to uh, make a difference in the lives of people for Jesus Christ. Uh, it is a joy to be here. Uh, I'll give a quick overview for those that don't know what we do. Uh, our ministry is SCORE Ministries. My background is pastoring. So a lot of what we do is in the world of athletics. And as Roger mentioned, I do have the privilege to do the chapels for the Detroit Tigers. So every baseball team in the country has someone that does chapel there for them. And uh, a typical Sunday for me when uh, we didn't have COVID is going down to the ballpark on a Sunday morning, and we'll do four chapels there at the ballpark. Uh, one for stadium workers. Uh, most of them have to be at the ballpark pretty early, can't get to church like we would. And so for uh, security people, some vendors, uh, we'll do a chapel. Then we'll do one for the visiting team. So whatever team's in town to play the Tigers, uh, for their players and coaches, we'll do a chapel service for them. Uh, so if the Yankees are in town, we'll do a chapel service for those guys. Any Yankee fans here? You can admit it. It's okay. There'll be an altar call later. You get right with God. And uh, no, I'm kidding. But uh, And then we'll do one for the Tigers. So it's players and coaches and those around the team. And then the last one we do for the umpires. At every big league game, there's four umpires. And uh, we go into their room. And if they want it, we don't force it. Uh, we'll do a chapel, a briefer chapel for them. And I was kid that we used the Braille Bibles for those guys, but that's not true. Uh, we use just the regular Bibles for them. Uh, my wife Carla does a lot with uh, wives and girlfriends and ministry uh, to those ladies. We do, uh, they'll, they'll do a, a luncheon, a dinner, and a Bible study, usually one night a week when the team's at home. And then anything that I've ever done or your church does in ministering to people, uh, we've done as well. We've helped uh, players move from Toledo to Detroit when they get called up. We've had players, coaches live with us. Um, we've uh, dog sat, house sat, babysat. And so anything that a church would do is what we try to bring uh, into that environment. So thanks uh, to your church for your support uh, and uh, your prayers for us as well. Um, today in our Bibles, I want to look at a passage in 1 John. So if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to, to go there and look with us. And we'll read there in a moment. But before we get to 1 John, I actually want to look at uh, the author of this book. Um, and I'd love to have a, a few volunteers read some passages for us. So I've got five verses, all from the Gospel of John. So do I have five volunteers who will read one verse? Okay, there's one. If you would, sir, read in a moment... Uh, John 13, 23. John 13, 23. And I'll have you stand up, read it nice and loud. Uh, who else? Volunteer? Roger, thanks. Uh, do uh, chapter 19, verse 26. Somebody else? Right there? Okay, great. Uh, do chapter 20, verse 23. 
And then uh, who else? Okay, right there. Thanks. I'll have you do two since we're running out of volunteers. Okay? Uh, do chapter 21, and uh, it's verse 7 and verse 20. Okay? So the author of 1 John is a guy named John. And um, he wrote five books in the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, three letters. And he wrote the book of Revelation. Now what's interesting, uh, other than the book of Revelation, he doesn't mention himself by name. But he mentions himself in a different way. And so when these five people read these verses, or the four people read the five verses, I want you to see if you can tell me what he calls himself, okay? So right there, if you would. Uh, John chapter uh, 19, or John chapter 13, verse 23. That's it. Last Supper. Uh, that disciple was there. Who had John chapter 19, verse 26? Roger. Right here, John 19, 26. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. Uh, at the cross, we see this disciple again. Who had John chapter uh, 20, verse 23? I may have given you the wrong verse. Is that 2023? Okay, my mistake. I'll fix it for the next service. Uh, John chapter 21, verse 7. And then skip down, if you would, to verse uh, 20. Great. So what is he called? The disciple who Jesus loved. Now, I don't know about you, but what strikes you when you read that to start with? Here's a guy writing a book, a biography of Christ, and he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. How about if uh, maybe you had siblings? If you uh, went out to your siblings and said, well, I'm the one that mom loves. I mean, it just, it, it, you catch it, at least for me, the first time, like, What's he saying there? So, what do you think it is? You think, um, and by the way, no one else calls him that. And no one else is called that in the Bible. But John takes it upon himself to say, John, the, he never uses his name, but the disciple who Jesus loved. So, what do we uh, learn from that? Uh, was he being arrogant? Probably not. I don't think he was putting himself above the others. Uh, was he being humble? I'm so humble I won't mention my name. I'll just use it. No, I don't think that's the case either. Uh, he was the youngest of the 12. Uh, how many of you were the youngest in your family as a child? Okay. Were you the spoiled ones? Okay. And maybe, maybe that's why he said, you know, I'm the one that everyone pays attention to and loves. I don't think that was uh, it either. I think this is the case. I think John, above anything else that he was or did, he wanted to embrace the experience and be identified as one who was loved by Jesus. 
That was his identity. In chapter 13, when he first uses that title, here's what the beginning of that chapter says. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I think he grasped that and said, you know what? Of anything that I could ever be known as or for what I've done, I just want to be known as one who is loved by Jesus Christ. And I think that's what drove him uh, under the inspiration of God just to use that title and name. What a great name. And that's the guy that I think I want to learn from of what it means to be loved by God. Because in some way, he's, he kind of grasped that. And so when we go then to 1 John, where we'll spend our time today, in chapter 4, verses 13 to, tw- uh, 13 to uh, 21, in those verses, nine verses, 14 times, he will use that word love. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, great, uh, follow along. If not, I'll certainly read and you follow along with me and it'll be on the screen. So in 1 John chapter 4, he begins in verse 13 by saying this, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him and He in God. And so here in this little passage, uh, he begins by saying, we know there are some things that we can know. Uh, That little phrase that uh, we know, John will use uh, 37 times in this book of 1 John. He'll use that exact phrase, uh, by this we know, seven times. And John is saying, here are some things that you and I can be confident about in life. And the first one is this, that God love, God's love is in us. That's what he's saying in that first paragraph, that God's love is in us, and he has confidence of that. Uh, in the next chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11-13, through 13, he'll write these words. Uh, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now listen, that you may know that you have eternal life. Wow. If uh, you take nothing else away with you today from being here at church, take this away, that if you know Christ is your Savior, God loves you immensely in Christ. And he loves you even in a greater way than he loves everyone in this world. Because you have a relationship with him through his son Christ. Did you notice in those verses, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all mentioned there. Uh, We read there, it says that uh, he has given us his Spirit. The Spirit of God indwells the believer. In Romans 5 we read, that God poured out His love by the Holy Spirit. And so today, understand, in Christ, His love lives inside of you 
by the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I like to try to illustrate that, and this helps me. Uh, so before I came in here this morning, in my pocket, I put a balloon. And so let that balloon represent the Spirit of God. When uh, I came to faith in Christ, the Bible says the Spirit of God came to live inside of me. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says, Don't you know that the Spirit of God lives in you? And so at the age of 16, at a high school in the area, uh, from a non-church background, when I invited Christ into my life, Spirit of God came to live inside of me. He says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And he says, I want now to fill your life. And so a way to illustrate it, for me anyway, is you blow the balloon up. Because if I just have the balloon in my pocket, you, you don't see it, do you? You don't know that there's something different. But if I take that balloon and I blow it up, and I'd walked up here like this, you'd say, what's the guy up there with the balloon for? You'd have seen it, right? If uh, I go into a restaurant and sit down with a balloon, it's going to draw some attention. If a ball player takes the field in a game this afternoon with a balloon, you'll probably say, what's up with that? And you know what, folks, the same is true. When the Spirit of God fills or controls our life and the fruits of the Spirit make a difference, people say, something different, something different. And so we're told here, the Spirit of God lives inside of me. He pours His love into me so that I can then pour it out to others. And so uh, do you have the Spirit of God in your life today? Uh, another way of saying that is, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? He starts out by saying, uh, know that, the, that uh, the love of God lives inside of you. Uh, note that the Father is part of that uh, pouring the love of God into us. Uh, he, he is the one who, who planned it. We read in uh, the verse, that says, the Father has sent the Son. It's God's plan. And God has a plan for you. First to come to know Christ as your Savior, and then to live a life for Him. And the Son is mentioned there. Uh, it talks about His obedience to go to the cross and become the Savior. Uh, what a great uh, uh, tandem that we read so often in Scripture. That uh, God's love, goes, our love for God, goes along with our obedience to Him. It's one thing to say, I love God. But he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so there at the beginning of this passage, uh, we're told that God's love is in us. And I hope you know that today. I hope you know Christ as your Savior. Now, it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say this uh, in verses um, 16 through 18. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So folks, not only is God's love in us, 
God's love is for us. God says, my love is there to benefit you each and every day. And he lists three ways that that's true. Uh, He uses the word here that his love perfects us. We might use a, a, a different word, the word his love completes us. God's love in me uh, helps me to know that I'm going to finish my course for God in this life and complete it for Him. Uh, we read in Philippians 1.6, uh, Am I sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ? How about that? I know that God's love is with me to the very end. And He wants to complete in my life and complete in your life uh, His will and His plan. And so His love is there to complete us. That word complete, that word perfected, is the same word that Jesus used when He was on the cross, and He said, it's finished. I've completed it. Not only is my salvation complete, but my walk with Him in this life uh, is completed as well. His love is there for me. Uh, His love gives me confidence. Uh, It said in our passage there that uh, we have confidence for the day of judgment. How about that? The day of judgment that uh, awaits us, I can go to confidently. Bible talks about two judgments. Uh, One is a judgment that the Bible refers to, we refer to as the great white throne judgment. That judgment is for uh, non-Christians. Where they'll be judged Is their name in the book of life or not? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, uh, that judgment you will go to one day. For those who know Christ, that judgment we we miss because our name is written in the book of life. Uh, The second judgment is uh, the judgment seat of Christ for Christians. And there, uh, the word that's used to describe it is almost like a platform at the Olympics where medals, rewards, honors are given out. And then a Christian takes those and puts them right back at the feet of Christ. And so to be able to go to those judgments with confidence, because I know what Christ's love has done for me. And I hope you have that confidence uh, as well. In um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, we read this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We, and in Christ, because of His love that is for us, can live a life of confidence in Him. And then the last thing we see there, how God's love is for us. It says that uh, there is no fear in love. Uh, perfect love casts out fear. What a change. To not have to uh, think of a, a relationship with God, to think of death, to think of eternity with fear. Uh, to think of COVID and fear it. To think of violence and fear it. We don't have to do that. Because perfect love, God's love, I know will always be there. It casts out fear in our life. Uh, the first emotion in the Bible is fear. It's the first human emotion that's mentioned. And it's mentioned in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve sinned, it says, uh, I hid because I was afraid. And you know what God says? I didn't design you to fear me. 
I designed you to know that my love is for you and my love is in you. And so when we understand how God loves us, it ought to remove that fear in our lives. Fear of everything. We don't have to fear it. Uh, I don't know if you, uh, I'm not a big cartoon guy, but uh, anyone ever see the, the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes? How many know that cartoon? Um, and uh, it was big in the 80s, 90s. I think it's back in some papers now. But it's about a six-year-old boy named Calvin and his stuffed tiger. And here's one of the ones that I saw. And I'm going to kind of read it to describe it. I don't have a picture of it. In this particular series, Calvin and Hobbes hide from his mom because they accidentally wrecked the family car while trying to move it out of the garage. In the opening frame of one of the strips uh, in this particular series, Calvin mother, Calvin's mother spots Calvin in a tree. There you are. Come down so I can talk to you, she, she says. No, you'll kill us. We're running away, Calvin replies. I'm not going to kill you, his mother assures him. I just want to find out what happened. Are you okay? Was anyone hurt? No, Calvin replies. No one was hurt. We were pushing the car into the drive, and it kept rolling. The car didn't hit anything, the mother asks. And Calvin says, it just went across the road into the ditch. That's when we took off. Well, the tow truck pulled it out, and there's no damage. Holding out her arms, uh, she continues, so you can come home now. First, Calvin says, peeking his head around the tree trunk, let me first hear you say you love me. You know what? Sometimes we want to hide behind trees too, don't we? And like, oh man, I can't believe what I just did. You know what God is saying? I love you. And he, we don't have to ask him to say it. He tells us that his love is there for us. I don't know if you saw right before Christmas, uh, one of the uh, Tiger coaches passed away. Kamara Barti. Uh, Kamara came up with the Tigers in the 90s as an outfielder, speedy outfielder. And he played here in Detroit from 96 to 99. Then he played a few other teams. Uh, retired as a player. Uh, went into coaching. And uh, last year uh, became a coach for us and became our first base coach. Uh, and Kamara um, uh, was regular in chapel, loves the Lord. And right before Christmas, uh, he was visiting his folks in Omaha, Nebraska, got up in the middle of the night, went to the bathroom, and uh, collapsed, had a brain tumor, didn't know about it, had no symptoms, and really died almost immediately. And so uh, he's with the Lord today. A few years ago, when Kamara was going through a tough time, I was texting with him, and he wrote a text back to me, and he said this. He said, uh, yeah, I, I'm going through a tough time right now, and I know I need to give it all to God, and that's what I've decided to do. Because he saw God as the one who was for him, who was with him, who loved him, and that's the only one he could turn to. And folks, the same is true for you and me today. God's love is for you. He is with you. He desires that uh, we live with that confidence in our life uh, every day. And then look at the last part here of this passage in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 19 through 21. We love because He first loved us. 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You know what we learn here is that God's love is between us. And there's a bond among believers that uh, no one can take away. It gives us encouragement. It gives us strength. It gives us uh, a responsibility and accountability uh, to one another. And uh, that is a reality for those who know Christ. We're one. Uh, Ernie Harwell, who a uh, longtime broadcaster for the Tigers, uh, now with the Lord. Uh, one day, Ernie was at the o- old Tiger Stadium. And what we would do at the old stadium for chapel, uh, we actually met for the Tigers, uh, we would meet for chapel in their weight room. And it was just a small little area with a number of machines, not as big as the weight room now at Comerica Park. And uh, guys would come in and sit on these machines. I'd stand in the corner and open up God's Word like we're doing here today. Um, if guys were in there working out that morning, they got chapel for free. They were in there, they got it. It was okay. And so um, Ernie would always be in chapel. And one day after a chapel, Ernie was talking to a backup catcher that we had. Uh, his name was Rich Rowland. Anyone remember Rich? Going way back. And Rich was kind of a part-time player. Uh, he didn't play a lot in the big leagues, but he played some, played more in the minor leagues. But in the offseason, Rich would go back to California, uh, where he was from, and there he was a lumberjack. So he cut down trees. He cut down those big redwoods and sequoias. And um, one day Ernie was talking to Rich and said, well, Rich, those trees that are so big and tall and withstand wind and storms, they must have a root system that goes down into the ground that's uh, like really deep, you know, to help that tree stand up. And Rich respectfully said, well, Ernie, that's not the case. He said, in fact, the roots of those trees go down very shallow into the earth. But what they will do is the roots of one tree will interlock with the roots of another tree. And they'll interlock with the roots of another tree. And you'll have an entire forest of these trees whose roots go down very shallow into the earth, but they gain their strength by being connected to one another. And Ernie said, that's the Christian relationship with other Christians. Our love for one another connects us and keeps us strong and together. And uh, so, through tough times, understand that you are not alone. There's a God whose love, if you know Christ, is in you. Uh, God's love is for you. And then God's love is between us. And we get to love one another, hopefully, the way that Christ loves us. And so, John, this guy who uh, said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. I really think he got it. And that became the focus of his life. In church history, he became known as the apostle who was loved, or the apostle of love. He became known for it. And I think it's because he grasped so strongly how much God loves him. And I hope today... Uh, you'll take that lesson from him and from the Word of God. There's a God who loves you 
in ways that you cannot imagine. And I think we tend to underestimate God's love for us. Um, the only other guy in the Bible who comes close to having a name like John's, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is Lazarus. Remember Lazarus in John chapter 11 who dies and Jesus comes and raises him back up? It says in uh, verse 3 of that chapter, um, uh, Lazarus who Jesus loved. That's what it says there. And uh, in that chapter, down toward the bottom when Jesus weeps, uh, people around say, look how he loved him. And you know what I think is true? Uh, and I hope you experience this in your life. That people will see God's love for you in you and in me and say, that guy's got something, that gal's got something that I don't. And I kind of want it. And that was John. He embraced the fact that he was loved and he lived it out uh, in his life. I, I want to wrap up uh, reading a story. And it's uh, from a book called The Power of an Encouraging Word. It's a true story. And... Um, uh, let, me, uh, let me read this here. Uh, Dr. Paul Brand, maybe some of you know that name, an author, uh, writes of his experience as a surgeon in London, England during World War II. He shares the story of how love casts out fear for a young pilot who received words that created hope, healing, and encouragement. And here's what he writes. Peter Foster was a Royal Air Force pilot. These men, these pilots, were the cream of the crop of England, the brightest, the healthiest, the most confident and dedicated and often the most handsome men in the country. When they walked the streets in their decorated uniforms, the population treated them as gods. All eyes turned their ways, their way. Girls envied those who were fortunate enough to walk beside a man in Air Force Blue. However, the scene in London was far from romantic, for the Germans were attacking relentlessly. Fifty-seven consecutive nights, they bombed London. In waves of 250, some 1,500 bombers would come each evening and pound the city. The RAF, Hurricanes and Spitfires, that pilots like Foster flew looked like mosquitoes pestering the huge German bombers. The hurricane was agile and effective, yet it had one fatal design flaw. The single propeller was mounted in front, a scant foot from the cockpit. The fuel line snaked along the side toward the engine. In a direct hit, the cockpit would melt off every feature of a man's face, his nose, his eyelids, his lips, often his cheeks. These RAF heroes many times would undergo a series of 20 to 40 surgeries to fashion, refashion what was once their face. Plastic surgeons worked miracles, yet what remained of the face was essentially a scar. Peter Foster became one of these downed pilots. After numerous surgical procedures, what remained of his face was indescribable. The mirror he peered into daily couldn't hide the facts. As the day for his release from the hospital grew closer, so did Peter's anxiety 
about being accepted by family and friends. He knew that one group of airmen with similar injuries had returned home only to be rejected by their wives who were unable to accept this new outer image of their husbands. Some men became recluses, refusing to leave their houses. In contrast, there was another group who returned home to families who gave loving assurance of accepted and continued worth. Many became executives, professionals, and leaders in their communities. Peter Foster was in that second group. His girlfriend assured him nothing had changed except a few millimeters thickness of skin. She loved him, not his facial membrane. She assured him. Uh, The two were married just before Peter left the hospital. Here's what he said. She became my mirror, Peter said of his wife. She gave me a new image of myself, even now, regardless of how I feel, when I look at her, she gives me a warm, loving smile that tells me I'm okay, he says confidently. He got that from his wife. You know what we get to do, folks? We get to look at God's love for us, and that ought to become our mirror. That I see how much God loves me, how much God loves you, it ought to change our identity and our image of who we are. And that's what I think John got when he said, you know, I'm the disciple. Not, not arrogantly. He said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. And that became his identity. I hope that's yours. I hope you know Christ is your Savior, have trusted Him, received Him into your heart. And then daily we realize God's love is in me, God's love is for me, and God gives me a love uh, that we can have between one another. Father, thanks for uh, this passage. And uh, thank you for (coughs) John living out the truth of his life, uh, of how he was loved by you. And thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, uh, into this world as our Savior and our Lord. And I pray, Father, that uh, each one here, first and foremost, might know Christ as his or her Savior and know what that love is and then to live that love out each day. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.